Welcome back to The Stripe, the first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Gorenlian, and I'm excited to bring you knowledge, insight, and predictions about the PLL face-offs on a weekly basis. Today's episode features the Archers Lightning and Thunder double team of Bones Kelly and Brendan Fowler, widely considered two of the most athletic players in the entire PLL. The one-two punch brings speed, devastating counter footwork, and a relentless scoring threat every time they step up to the strike. We'll be kicking off today's show with my first guest, Stephen Bones Kelly, a U19 gold medalist, Calvert Hall legend, and national champion with the UNC Tar Heels, now entering his second summer with the Archers Lacrosse Club. Bones, I've had the honor of getting to know you and your dad, Frank, a legend in his own right, over the years working with you, and now I'm pumped to have you on the show. Thanks for meeting me at the Stripe, man. Well, thanks, Greg. That's uh, that that's quite a uh, intro there, and appreciate the kind words, and um, really excited to be on the Stripe. And uh, it's really cool to have a podcast now to really talk, uh, you know, about the details of the faceoff position and um, break it down at a high level. So, really happy to be on. Yeah, and you know what's funny is everyone has been saying that, like, oh, thanks for the really cool intro and everything. But part of this podcast job and the reason we created it was you guys are way too humble all the time. So it's up to me to make sure people know how good you are. The PLL has the best face-off guys on earth, and it's important that people understand exactly how good you are. What we love about this show is it gives us an opportunity to say, yes, we have six or seven face-off guys. They're the best in the world. But what's different about each one? Right. In the past, we've always been like, oh, yeah, that guy's got really fast hands. But that doesn't tell you the story. The story is the statistics that we pull, the next level stats. And when we talk about next level stats, historically, the faceoff position has been stuck with this. OK, how many faceoff wins did he have at the stripe and what were his ground balls? Right. And that's the only way people can tell how good your game was. But I always found that unfair. For instance, if you have an attackman who gets detwigged three times, throws the ball away twice, but he has a hat trick. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, he had a good game. Right. So for face off, yeah. guys, we need to make it a little bit more fair and show people how different you guys really are out there and still successful. So first, I just wanted to catch up with you. How did you uh, feel about your 2019 performance of the PLL and what were your thoughts on the rules and how it affected your game? Yeah, you know, um, I thought overall it was, it was an exciting, fun season. You know, I think the first half of the year I, I struggled a little bit um, just finding my rhythm. Um, and you know, I, I, I love the rules. I think the rules were great. Um, I, I love the setup of them. I love how the wings were brought in more. I love how the field was shortened. It created for a much, um, faster pace off the draw. It made the wings more involved. Um, and I think for me, you know, again, just kind of first half of the year, you know, timing was a little off. Um, but you know, was able to work through that some, and, um, you know, I felt I really hit my stride the second half of the year and, um, you know, really found a, a good rhythm and, you know, ended on, on a really high note. So, you know, overall for a year, it was, it was good, you know, as a team, you know, obviously wish we could have gone a little further and, you know, lost a really tough game to, to, uh, you and the Redwoods, which was a great uh-huh. battle there, but, um, you know, definitely excited, um, you know, for the 2020 season. Yeah. And, and just so people know, Bones is going to go down in PLL history uh, forever as the first goal ever scored. I remember sitting there on the sideline, opening <laughs> weekend at Gillette, everyone proud with coming. And 10 seconds in, Bones decides to just score a diving shot. He said, let's get this league started, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that was um, awesome. How did that feel sticking that first G, man? It, it was fun. It's, it's funny. So, like, 
leading up when they had announced the schedule and that we were going to be the first game. So, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, you know, if I, if I'm the, the, the number one faceoff guy that day, like I'm going to have a chance. And so, you know, as that became more of a reality and we're, we're getting set for that game, you know, I, I jokingly told a lot of people like, you know, Hey, if I win the first faceoff, I'm taking it to the rack and I'm going to bury it. And <laughs> You know, I don't know how many people thought I was joking or not, but you know me, Greg, I would never say that like seriously and, and, um, or or like in an arrogant way. And, uh, it was really funny. We were, uh, on the Uber ride, um, to Gillette stadium. I was with Will Manny and and his girlfriend, Kimber. And, you know, we were kind of talking and I I was meeting her and, you know, I said something that was a joke. I'm like, you know, Kimber tomorrow, if I win the first face off, I'm looking off Will and I'm going to bury the first goal. And I said it with a dead straight face. And so, uh, not many people know this, but you know, that happened. And she was like the most excited person after the game. Cause she's like, you called it, you called it. And we were all <laughs> laughing with Will and it was hilarious, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a special moment and my whole family was there, which was really cool for them to see. And, um, you know, most importantly, we won the game too. So it was, uh, definitely a fun way to, to start the league and start the season. Yeah. It's actually funny. You mentioned that. You started the goal, you know, 10 seconds into the league's inception. We had a goal from a face-off guy, high-paced, and that, like, set the pace for the entire first weekend. And, you yeah. know, we had two OT games. We had um, – it seemed like after the first five weeks of the PLL that if you score – if you won by two points, it was a blowout. It was kind of insane. Like, every yeah. game was a one-point game, and everyone's looking around going, how did – how did the league figure out how to make these teams this even? <laughs> it was kind yeah. of nuts. And and the yeah. same for the faceoffs. So when we look at the faceoff statistics, uh, aside from Trevor overall, everybody was within about three and a half percentage points from second highest faceoff percentage to dead last as far as starters go. That's really incredible because I've been playing professional lacrosse since 2006. And that's I've never seen that in my life. So when you look at the at the PLL rules, and we're going to get to what you specialize in in a second, but when you look at the PLL rules, how does that create either more of a level playing field, or do you think it's just a product of having the absolute best top faceoff guys all over the world from all over the world? I think it's a mix of both. You know, I think the rules were, were great because again, the wings, um, became more of a factor. And, and a lot of people think, Oh, one yard in, you know, inwards for the, you know, where the wings line up, that's not that far, but, but it, it's a huge difference, especially with the speed and talent and skill, um, of the wing players in the PLL. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you look at the guys who were in the league last year, who are in the league now, and, um, there's just a really good core of guys who have, you know, been pros for three plus years and, um, you know, are good at the position or are, are incredibly technically sound or, um, you know, good lacrosse players in, in general. And, um, it's just fun and it's really fun going into matchups that it's really kind of any given day and you have to have wing strategy. It's going to be a battle for ground balls and, um, you know, it's not going to be, uh, one just by, who, you know, who wins the clamps, but, but who can fight for a GB, keep the ball alive. And, and there's just so many factors. And I think, you know, the PLL rules brought that to light for folks. Um, and, and it clearly shows that it worked because of how close all the statistics were um, in, in regards to just face-off win percentage, which um, is, is, is awesome. Yeah. And when we look at the different styles, and we're going to really spell your style out soon here, we talked to uh, Tommy Kelly 
in our, our last episode. And he had talked about how he has, you know, 75% uh, plus clamp percentage. And for folks listening, clamp percentage is essentially whoever gets to the ball first on the whistle and is able to direct it where they want. And Tommy did that about almost 77% throughout the whole season, but he still ended up with about a 52 53% face-off percentage. And then you look at the contrast and we'll have Joe Nardella joining us in a couple weeks and he was the exact opposite. He was in the 30s, clamp percentage-wise, but he was still almost identical face-off percentage as TK. And mm-hmm. I know for I can speak for myself as an old man out there with you guys last year. I was able to game plan way more deeply than I was ever able to in professional or NCAA lacrosse before. With the wings a yard closer, I felt like I could put the chess pieces in place to make up for the fact that I was on the backside of my career there. However, I think the thing that people can you know complain about uh, when it comes to faceoffs, and it's usually the people who don't get it, but they are always, you know, we don't want two guys locked in there for 45 seconds. We don't want one guy, quote unquote, taking over a game. I was, I, I would like to get your opinion on this. I personally was shocked at the amount of transition goals by the wings last year off of faceoffs, especially the LSMs. I felt like every single game had an LSM two bomb or a fast break dunk somehow because of the 10 yards out of the middle of the field and the wings being closer. How did you feel? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and I think obviously where the ball lined up eliminated tie ups. I mean, my, my style, which, you know, I know we're going to talk about in, in a little more depth, you know, shortly here is I've never been a big tie up guy in general. Um, but I think what people realized is, you know, even if you tie up for like a second, the wings are now in play. And, um, you know, if, if that person has a little bit more of the ball, you know, don't be too stubborn, kind of get up and let's make it a three on three battle. And uh, no, you hit the nail on the head with, with the, the field being 10 yards shorter. Um, you know, you could pick up a ground ball, you're taking a couple steps and you're at the two point arc, you know, same thing is, you know, if, if I'm running down the field, I pass it down to our attackman, I keep cutting through. And then you got a guy, you know, like a Scott Ratliff on the archers, who's going to trail, you hit him trailing, right. That, that can be a wide open two bomb. So um, no, the transition play was, exciting and I, I think just added that much more you know value to the game and um you know made it a lot more fun to for fans to watch and just made the, the flow of the game that much faster yeah I totally agree with you and when people hear that if you haven't taken a chance and we we mentioned this a lot if you haven't seen the difference in the face-off rules of the PLL compared to the NCAA go back to episode zero we explained it in detail the ball being lined up higher on the heads of the uh, closer towards the scoop of the plastic is the PLL's kind of MO. And that's what we made as a blueprint for the rest of lacrosse because that's what really gets rid of the lockups. It, you have the softer t- uh, part of the plastic at the top. It's further away from a guy's hand. And what Bones is talking about is there's a difference between styles. We call them grinders, guys that like to lock up on a 50-50, stay hard in the rotation, try to battle you and force you off the ball. Bones and myself are both guys that we just try to take more of the athletic approach. If we are losing that grind, you bail on the clamp and we call it a bail because you're going to get off your knee. You're going to stand up immediately and we call it going belly to helmet. You're going to get your belly in front of where your opponent's helmet is because he has one step to exit now and nobody was better than bones at making you pay for it. If you stayed down there too long and we're going to get into those stats now. So we look at your season stats. You finished at an overall 53.9%, which is really impressive because like you said, at the beginning of the first few games, I know all of us had our, are growing pains with the rules because we were all essentially rookies. We've never played with these rules before, but you came on real strong in the second half of the season. And we'll, we'll talk about why in a second. Your clamp percentage was 44%. Uh, 
And then when we look at the season stats for the starters, and that's usually the one we focus mostly on. And when we say starters, it's starting faceoff guys. We take out the faceoffs against long poles or maybe a random shorty who goes in there because it's important to remember that in the PLL, if you go early, if you false start and you go before the whistle, you're not allowed to take the second one. So a guy who's a backup would come in. So we generally look at the starting faceoff guys versus starting faceoff guys. You were at 47% against starters, 33% clamp percentage. Now, when we look at your clamp percentage and how you went down the second half, tell people at home, because it, this is important, right? The first, let's just real quick, we're going to get to your, your worst and best matchups. But I really, I want to harp on the end of the season because that last game that you had, that playoff game uh, versus the Chrome, I believe it was, you were 78% on your faceoffs, okay? That is a far different Bones Kelly than we saw the first few weeks of the season. What did you add to your game that really created that differentiation in your statistics? Yeah, no, um, well, it's it's cool hearing those stats, you know, and, and kind of eye-opening, to be honest. Um, uh, but in regards to kind of that stride I hit, and, you know, the, the Chrome game was a really good game, and, and the Atlas game, the last game as well, you know, was able to have a really strong game. Um, you know, I, I think again, I just really got in a rhythm. Um, I know I, I've heard you speak about this, you know, on your previous podcast, you know, I got pretty good at a little rake move, um, that could just, you know, kind of throw a little different, um, uh, move against the opponent and keep them on their toes. Um, and I just got a little quicker on my clamp and, and, you know, I'm, I really feed off rhythm. Um, and I'm confident if I win the clamp that, I can get the ground ball. Um, and so, you know, as, as kind of the, the, the rhythm just became, uh, more natural for myself, um, I able was to, you know, to keep off that and build off confidence. And I think so much of face-offs is, is build off concentration and the mental aspect of it. And if you're confident and feel confident and you start hitting a couple, you know, it's that really that flow state of where you're not even really thinking about reaction. It's almost like, I'm going to hit this. So you're almost thinking like, where am I going to put the ball? Um, which, you know, every faceoff guy has been in that flow state before and we all achieved to be in that every game. Um, but, you know, I think I really found my stride with that. And, you know, I think too, it, 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 it really helped um, when, when Fowler joined the team, which, you know, he was awesome, awesome teammate was incredible to play with him. But, you know, I think um, it was great to be able to have someone else there to, to not only prepare and practice with the night before games, but just like from a support perspective to talk through things on the sideline together um, and kind of go in it together, um, you know, was a, a, a really fun approach. And, and we're both guys who just really want to win and care about winning more than statistics. Um, and, and we fed off each other really well. So combination of factors, but um, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely fun to kind of end on those strong notes on the season. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, the, the really cool thing about you and Fowler, and I tell people this all the time is that when you have multiple faceoff guys and we did an FOA masterclass where we spoke to a whole bunch of college coaches and we were always talking about how to manage your faceoff guys. And the, the hardest thing is to take the ego out because usually on your fit on your team, especially in college, you have a bunch of world beaters, right? That all were used to being all Americans or being the starter or whatever. And what ends up happening almost naturally because of that competitive nature 
is the guys who are on the sideline, they want their team to win, but almost that 10% in the back of their brain is like, I kind of hope this guy loses a face off. So I get my chance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's what you're trying to create. You're trying to get rid of that, right? You're trying to create a system where when you watch an NFL quarterback come off the sideline, we got three backups, you know, he gets there, one guy's holding, you know, an iPad, they're looking at the video together, they're all giving him the signals, they're all trying to make the starter better so they can all learn. So when their number's called, they're in there ready. That's the kind of environment you're trying to create. And I say all the time, I wouldn't have had my professional career success if it weren't for Jerry Ragonese. I had yeah. Jerry on my sideline for like seven years, and that made all the difference. I never would have reached my potential without that. Having two guys that are your caliber, yours and Fowler's caliber, being able to swallow your egos and enjoy having each other on the sidelines with one another, that is is so rare. And it's something that we're all shooting for as coaches, for sure. So I commend both of you guys on that. Now, when we look at the um, championship series matchups that you guys are going to have coming up, mm-hmm. we're going to look at the Atlas. Now, I don't think we have the actual schedule yet, but these are the matchups at least. So against the Atlas, and we're going the two games that you played against Trevor, because the last game of the season – uh, yep. was the playing game right for the for the draft and you yep. went 800 percent in that game so we're just going to go for the games against trevor here uh because that's who you're going against the atlas are only bringing trevor down as a face-off man uh so against trevor you were nine for 27 and then uh the chrome you're going to be going against just connor farrell you were 51 percent against connor last year and then against the water dogs they have simino and withers withers wasn't in the league last year so against simino you were four for ten you were 40 percent and then the whip snakes, uh, you were 47%, but your clamp percentage was 55%. So that's actually fascinating to me because I feel like that would be – Joe Nardell would be the only person that I feel like you would go against. And if you won more clamps, you would have a lower face-off percentage because like you, he's very athletic and his MO is countering your exits afterwards. So when we look at those matchups right now, what are the ones you're most excited for? And what do you think would be a big difference? Like you feel like you would have a, a better chance at doing better this time around against. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously excited about all those matchups. Um, I mean, I think the competitor in me, obviously, you know, you want to circle Atlas and Baptiste and I've gone against him since my sophomore year at college. And he's obviously an incredible player um, and has had an incredible career so far. And I think, you know, you want to go against the best, um, and, and certainly want to continue to challenge myself. And, you know, last year I, you know, I had a pretty tough game against him in Atlanta. Um, and, uh, you know, want to, want to be able to try to redeem that. And, and you always want to take a crack at the best. So, you know, I think that's definitely one that's, that's circled, but you know, all those guys, you mentioned, um, you know, Simino and now he's got Withers who, you know, I know Withers very well, and, and he's a very athletic scrappy, you know, face-off guy, you know, you look at Farrell and the year he had last year and he's obviously good. And now they got Forbes who, you know, adds a different element and kind of different style and technique. And then, you know, obviously Nards has been one of the top guys for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's another very athletic face-off guy. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, um, excited to go against all those guys. Um, and, and it's going to be really good for matchups overall. And, you know, I think um, with with uh, an involvement, you know, just how I've worked this off season and and continuing to, you know, build chemistry with with our wings. You know, I'm I'm, I'm excited to to test ourselves and and you know hopefully do well and and win those games. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at 
your your best games from last year. Last year, uh, week six versus the Redwoods, I regrettably <laughs> had to watch that game from my couch uh, <laughs> with ice on my yeah, leg. Yeah. And watching you go 17 for 18, which is 94%. And I've said this before. I don't care if you're facing off against a potato, but going 94% in a game against anybody is incredible. You were 100% on clamps. You were the only player to accomplish that all of last season. Um, and then, you know, so obviously this year you're going to have those those guys aren't going to be facing off. So I think it was mostly what Brian Carolunas, uh, Nick Asello were kind of the guys you were going against. This year yeah. the Redwoods now have Peyton Smith, a rookie for Marist, and Greg Pascoulgin who's coming over. Have you you you've had experience going against Pascoulgin, correct? Have you gone uh, against? Actually, Greg? I, I have not. I never crossed okay. paths with him. Okay, so which him is and, and odd, but yeah. Peyton Smith, very different styles. Both right knee down, motorcycle grip guys. So people at home know you have basically two styles: standing neutral grip, where you hold the stick traditionally, and then right knee down motorcycle grip, where you hold the stick uh, pronated grip. They're both pronated grip, knee down guys. Have you watched the film to study up on those two? And do you do you feel like your style? goes well up against those yeah to be honest i haven't watched too much film of them yet but but that's also because you know they're not in our pool play group so you know we'll have to see how that kind of shakes out and then you know i'll be able to watch them in person and you know break down film if if we match up with the redwoods in the playoffs um so that's kind of my mindset on it i mean i've seen schools in play before you know i've seen some stuff on on peyton smith just from a college perspective i mean obviously had a great college career so um, you know, I, I never overlook the opponent. Um, I, I try to focus more on what I have to do and, and, um, you certainly can make adjustments and, and know what an opponent's strong at, or maybe weaker at. Um, but I'll, I'll probably break those guys down more if, if we end up running into them some point, you know, in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's a good point. So, so folks who are listening, understand because this is pool play and this is going to be championship series, you're not doing a full season. So you're not going to go against some guys. So Bones is just talking about efficiently studying film. Basically I'll worry about that bridge when I get to it. Um, And we look at the Chrome last year, week 12, something that I know you, you could, you could tell I was crazy about on Twitter. I don't think you got nearly enough credit last season, especially in your second half. And especially this last game, I mean, you went 78% and that is an astounding statistic because you're going 78% against starters and Mm -hmm. you did an amazing job. You went 14 for 18 against the Chrome. We talked about the rake move. And so folks at at home get this when you are locked in on a face-off, especially in the PLL where the ball is lined up higher, you heard Connor Farrell in his interview, talk about his right hand punch, basically your right hand. You want to punch into the ball and try to get that ball as close to the throat of the head as possible but what Bones added to his game second half of the season last year that threw people absolutely whacked was <laughs> on the whistle, instead of diving into the ball, you actually just ripped it to the left. So you mm-hmm. saw guys face planning left and right. And when, when Bones hit it right, it was embarrassing because you reach, you're out of reach. Bones is to his feet. And we talked about it last week uh, or two weeks ago when, when I went against you. Uh, you threw that rake move out of nowhere on me scoop the ball up. And because you're left-handed, it's easy to just kind of forget that. So you come down, you're just kind of jogging left-handed and I give you 10 yards and I'm just standing there and you shoot it right over my shoulder into the corner of the net. Um, And we talk about humbling experiences and (laughs) (laughs) bones is an offensive weapon. And we, I wanted to know when you look at these games, 
that you did really well against. When you play with this rake move, does why does it play so well to your style? Um, no, it's a great question. I, I appreciate the the kind words there. But that real quick, when I played you in that game, Greg, you were killing me to start that game off. So I, I think that was my first win. So I needed that, man. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were you were great about it afterwards too. It, it was fun. But um no, I think the rake's good because, you know, look, I, I look at myself as a quickness guy. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm by far the smallest guy, you know, of, of the guys, at least last year in the league, you know, I'm, you know, 185, 10, 511. So, you know, going into a, a matchup, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm minus 20 plus pounds on pretty much every starter in the league. And so for me, it's a quickness thing. Now, you know, I think quickness breeds strength, I think you know, quickness, um, is, is obviously a huge key in facing off. And so, you know, my dad, um, he alluded to in the beginning, you know, he taught me to never be too stubborn to switch things up. And he would always make me work on a rake, even when I didn't want to. Um, and so, you know, I just worked on it a lot and, and, you know, I found that it's a great change up and, uh, you know, especially in a game, if, if you're losing a couple clamps or you can't find the whistle, you know, instead of stubbornly just trying to, you know, just keep getting the right hand punch with the left hand coming hard and the guy's just being quicker than you, why don't you change it up and, and throw off that guy's pace and technique um, just to, you know, kind of change his mindset of, okay, wow, he just raked me. You know, now do I go down the line? Do I punch hard with my right? You know, they, they have to think about that. Um so it's, it's been a, you know, I started using that move my junior year of college and, um, you know, I've just got pretty good at it. Uh, you know, honestly, if you watch it on film, you know, you can tell if, if you look at it closely, but you know, I've been able to get to the point where I can really control it, that it almost looks like a clean, you know, pinch and pop fast break and, and can keep it close to myself. Um, and so it's, it's definitely been a, a really helpful move for me. Yeah, it has, it changed your game. It changed the mindset. And it's important for kids to know that because like your first move diversity and your exit diversity are so important if you want to be an elite level faceoff guy. And sure, you can get away with it in high school. You do the same move 20 times in a row. And if you're just faster than the other kid, you can win. But when you get to college, it becomes less about that. And in the pros, that doesn't exist. You can't do the same move 20 times in a row and just crush people. And when you can take a faceoff man and when we're lined up two inches from the ball from each other, if you can make me hesitate because I'm not exactly sure what your move is going to be, so I'm not sure where I should put my momentum on the whistle, that's all the window you need to make someone pay. And that's what you yeah. did very effectively. And we talked about it before. I mean, first goal off a of faceoff in PL history, you stuck one on me. I've seen you pick the ball up on a GB, run back from X, and then you know, <laughs> people the hole. And look, I mean, when you look at the fact that you and Brendan Fowler, and we're going to interview uh, Brendan later, you guys are both super athletic. You're both not just like capable with the ball. You guys are actually offensive weapons when you want to dodge. You're going into a championship series format. Has it stuck in your mind at all saying, wow, okay, we got two super athletic faceoff guys. If we go against a team like a Whip Snakes, a Chaos, an Atlas, who are only bringing one guy, man, every time we win a faceoff, we're going to keep that guy on the field and we're going to go at him and we're going to run him into the ground. And over the course of group play, they, you know, these one faceoff guys on rosters might not have any gas left after that. Has that, has that come to your mind at all with Fowler? 
Oh yeah, no, it definitely has. It definitely yeah, has. No, me, me, <laughs> me, me and uh, no, me and Fowler have talked. You know, the, the moment they announced this this format, Fowler texted me, and we we were fired up. Um, and uh, no, we, we we've had already a couple conversations with coach and and you know some strategies just with our team. And um, no, I think we we both feel that. And yeah, I, I personally think with this format, you know, having two guys is. Uh, really important. And, um, with the, the back to back to back to back type style, and then, you know, right in the playoffs, it's, uh, it's going to be a grind. And, you know, I don't think anyone has really experienced this level of play, you know, constantly back to back, you know, I know you, you speak world games, which, which you've experienced Greg and, you know, but on that, you guys are, are dominating most teams and you're really preparing for Canada and, and probably Iroquois somewhere. This it's like, you know, every team is really good. Every faceoff guy is really good. Like you have to be on. And so, um, no, the, the, we, we've talked about that. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully we can put some of that strategy, um, you know, um, to use and, uh, you know, make it work to our advantage since, we, you know, we have me, me and Brendan who can, you know, stay on the field and create some matchups like that and kind of try to run the other guy down a little bit. Just for some context for the listeners right now, Bones Kelly has the most sadistic grin on his face while he's talking about this. So God help everyone. So let's move forward here because um, – so when we talk about we, – we spoke at length with a couple of the other guys in our interviews and they're talking about what they didn't like they about last year, what they could improve on. And so we'll talk about some of your matchups that um, you know percentage-wise were some of your worst games. So we, we talked about Trevor, you know mm-hmm. – 13% clamp percentage, 25% overall. Um, head to head, you were very similar. Week eight, uh, f- five and eight. You were 30% and 31% respectively. What do you feel like Trevor does the best a- a- that is able to get to you? And then also, what have you been working on in order to counter his game? Those are great questions. I mean, obviously, Trevor is extremely talented. I think a lot of people don't give him credit for just how quick he is off the whistle. Um, and then he's obviously very talented where if you lock up, you know, he's very good at putting a lot of force on the ball and he did a good job in creating his head with warrior that played to his strengths, I think, and allowing to have that really thick throat that when he puts that weight on there, right, it really sucks in there for him and it's hard to steal it back. But I think the other thing with Trevor is, you know, he, he's talented off the ground and he knows how to use his body and you watch film and like some of his ground balls, you're like, holy crap, like how did he come up with that? Mm-hmm. And um, I think he works with his wings really well too. You know, I think uh, um, they, they work well together. And so, you know, I, I think with, with, uh, with Trevor, you know, I, I think as a whole, I've, I've, you know, worked hard this off season just to continue um, to involve my condition, to evolve my conditioning, my strength, you know, just continuing to sharpen, you know, my ability just from a, from a technique perspective at the faceoff dot. Um, and I think with him, it's just, you know, um, trying to use, uh, what I've done this off season and, you know, try to be reactive, try to be quick, try to have the right wing play strategy and, um, you know, just got to attack it and, and, as we know with faceoffs too, sometimes the ball, um, you know, sometimes you might not play great, but the ball bounces your way and you're 55%. Sometimes you've actually played really well and just some things didn't bounce your way and you're 45%, right? It's kind of the nature of it. What's It's what makes it a, a really fun but challenging position. But 
um, no, I, I've definitely been working hard and, and, you know, excited to have another matchup with Trevor and, um, and everyone as a whole, cause everyone's so talented, but, um, you know, it'll, it'll definitely be fun. Yeah. And, and I think when we talk about Trevor and, and I talked about this in his interview where most guys, especially last year, when I went against everybody, I could come up with a game plan strategy based on the first game when I played against them. Mm-hmm. With Trevor, Trevor's like lining up against Peyton Manning where like you have to disguise your coverages because he's so well-rounded. When we look at the statistic differences, a lot of guys have some kind of disparity, whether it's between clamp or face-off overall percentage. Trevor was almost dead even in both because if you leave your wing open, he'll throw it to his wing. If you right. bring a long pull out there, he'll stand up and face off so he can get to his feet real quick. Like you said, he's good on his ground balls and on lockups. He's dominant. He's just literally physically built for it. Um, yeah. So it's it's really good to hear opponent insight on on what you respect about his game. Now, when we look at your wing play, because I know personally from experience, when we played you guys last year, the first time we played, you alluded it to a little bit. I kind of got to the ball before you that first game um, as far yeah. as the clamps were going. And at, yep. at the end yeah. of the game, I actually felt like I had a better percentage than I really did. And this speaks to your strength. You harassed me. And I, you know, I try to take stock in myself as a technically sound face-off guy, but you had me like all over the place. I felt like I played three games afterwards and I was exhausted. So and it wasn't just you. It's the fact that your wing play is so relentless. So when we played you in the playoffs, I basically told everybody, just line up as far ahead of me as you can to get Ratliff the hell away from me. And right. I just popped the ball through my legs 800 times because I didn't know what else to do to get against you guys. You're just so athletic. So we look at the wing play. They had 20 ground balls off the off the wings. And so folks know that is actually the least among the starters because we're going to talk about how Bones was a ground ball machine himself throughout the year. But Ratliff still, even though you had 20 total ground balls among starters off the wings, um, Ratliff led the league in wing ground balls himself uh, at 18. So that's just mm-hmm. amongst the tech, the quote unquote starters. So he had 18 ground balls off the wing. What makes Ratliff so good off the wing? Yeah, he's relentless, man. He's great. And um, he, he was one of the first people to text me when, when they announced the teams, just fired up that we were going to be linked together. And, uh, you know, I was too. And, um, no, nah, he's just – he's got such a, a great approach for the game. And he's, he's, um, he's tireless, man. He doesn't get tired on the field. And, and when he's in the zone, it's, it's such a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, I remember that game playing you guys, you know, he was all over the place. I mean, even when you were putting balls in good spots, you know, he was, he was just scrapping and calling and um, he's great. And uh, you know, you you talk about kind of wing face-off chemistry rats from Atlanta, which, you know, I I live down here. And so he's down here as well. We've actually been training together all off season, um, which has been really fun and just only continuing to build that, you know, wing face-off man chemistry. I know we're both really excited um, for this upcoming year because we feel like we've only built that even more, um, which is good. Um, and so, you know, he, no, he really, he really is the leader in that unit. Um, but then too, you know, I think of guys like Mark McNeil, Dominique Alexander, I mean, just flying around on the wing. I mean, Mark McNeil had some incredible ground balls last year of just like all out hustle plays. Um, and then you got a guy like Mike Simon, you know, tree who is a veteran and a champion and, and just, you know, knows the game so well and is a warrior himself and is, is great off the wing. So, you know, I, I love our unit. 
and uh, you know, you, you, we we can even put guys like a Tom Schreiber who is is unbelievable off the wing for people who don't know. I mean, his his speed and and ability off the ground is incredible. Like you know, everything he does. But um, no, we, we have we have a fantastic unit, and and I'm really excited to just just build with that. You know, this year and beyond. Yeah, and you know what's actually fascinating is you guys pretty much have your whole wing unit back. Yeah, and yep. Not a lot. I don't think any other team can say that. Some teams lost a lot on their wings. I feel like the Water Dogs went and just picked everybody's wings up in the uh, expansion draft. I feel like they have 17 <laughs> wing players. But when you talk about uh, Alexander and McNeil, I agree with you. I think they're the two two of the most underrated players in our entire sport. I mean, they are insanely athletic. I've heard nothing but good things as teammates and locker room guys. Yeah. They're the first people to stick up for their boys uh, when there's a tussle. And, you know, Scott Ratliff, uh, I also want to touch on, is, is actually a motivational speaker and a life coach, mm-hmm. and he's phenomenal. And I was really thrilled by the responses we heard from him. The best part about Scott Ratliff, aside from the fact he's a machine on the field, is Ratty is one of the nicest people you've ever met. But on the field, he's like downright mean. <laughs> Literally just a mean person. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> How does he turn I, that switch? Does he turn that switch on in the locker room, or is it only when he gets on the field? Yeah, I think it's you know the game day. It's funny because I, I my first experience with Rat was going against him, and I don't I don't chirp people on the field. That's just not my style. Yeah. And, and I remember like the first time playing him, and he just like started ripping into me, and I was just like, I don't even know this guy, man. Like, <laughs> all right, like whatever. And uh, you know, as I've I've gotten to know him, and you know, I love Rat. He's such a close friend of mine, and. Um, uh, he just can turn it on, you know, it's just the competitiveness in him. And the great thing about him though, is like, you know, he'll say things on the field, but he'll be the first guy after the game to put around put his arm around you and say, Hey, I love you, man. Great job. What a great battle. You know? And I think that's what so many people respect about rat. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's why, you know, like, like myself, you know, we've played against each other. I don't talk any trash, uh, but yeah, <laughs> ratty, like I remember the first time I heard ratty chirp me, I almost like, I double take because I didn't think it was him at first. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just kind of laughed because whenever he said stuff, I'd be like, dude, I know I'm getting a hug from you after the game. <laughs> you gotta have to uh, it's funny. The rookies, it's, man. Funny. Um, it's funny. So let's look at some of the interesting stats because they tell a pretty cool story. First, we already talked about the fact you have the first goal in PL history. Uh, and just so you guys know, off camera, Bones told me he's going to have the first goal of this season too. we have to have the first game though right that's that's the key yeah that's the key so 71 percent of your face-off wins were to yourself that was by far the highest percentage in the league the coolest part about it is most of the time when you win you're either raking it or you're pulling it out to a distance and you have to you have to pick it up so not only are you just kind of clamping and turning and popping it to yourself, but you're actually getting it out into space and you have to do the extra step of scooping it up and taking it. Is that just what works for you? Or is that something where like when you game plan game by game, as you're in the flow, you're like, this is just the easiest way to win for me right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of boils down just to like, as I grew up in lacrosse and, you know, even today, right. It's like, I mean, I, I view myself as a lacrosse player who faces off. Um, and you know, like in, in high school and even at Carolina, like when I first started at Carolina, you know, I was a midfielder and that's what I viewed myself as. And then, you know, the opportunity just became more of focusing, facing off. And we had such a good offense. We would score a lot of goals. So it was like, 
hey, man, I'd rather take every face off and, and really focus on that. But getting to my point on that, I've always just prided myself um, from a young age on being tough on GBs and first-time ground balls, you know? Um, and so I've always told my wings, right, like, look, if I win it, like, I'm going after it and, you know, play body-to-body on that guy to try to create a, create a, create a lane. That's not to say that I'll, I'll, if I can win a ball and put it to my wing and they're open, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Um, but you know, I think one of my strengths is just being tough off the ground and, and one time GBs. And so, um, you know, if I can win it out, you know, I, I, I just trust myself to be able to get to the ball and, you know, get it first time and, and work through checks. And, you know, I continue to, to work on that pretty hard, um, and, and consider that a, you know, a really strong suit of my game. Yeah, and I love the fact that you use the term lacrosse player that can face off. And that's, you know, you know me, like I have a visceral hatred for the term FOGO. Mm -hmm. I feel like it has like a very negative connotation, especially I know a lot of college coaches don't like it. But I think it's important to also note that, like you said, you have the ability, like if you didn't face off, you would have been a perfectly good offensive or two-way midfielder in college. And I think the misconception that we hear from the talking heads a lot is, oh, you know, he faces off because he can't do anything else on the field. And it's actually the complete opposite amongst people who know the game. If plenty of us played two-way midfielder until we got to the pro ranks and we weren't pro-level middies, but we were pro-level face-off guys, it's just impossible to play offensive midfielder, defensive midfielder, and face-off at a high clip. And I think, you know, when we hear the specialization BS coming from, you know, the you-know-whos, it's it's totally fine that a goalie just plays goalie. And it's totally fine that a short stick D-mid only plays D-mid. But for some reason, face-off guys are the specialization ruining the game. (laughs) I just – Right. I love that. Right. Right. Um, Um, All right. Going down from my soapbox on that one. But did you have anything to add to that? (laughs) No, I think – no, I I know you've always been been in, you know – an advocate for lacrosse player first. And I, and I think you're spot on. I think you've seen in the past, you know, handful of years, a, a transition of, you know, face-off guys are, are some of the most athletic guys on the field. You know, they're, they're some of, if not the best guys off the ground. Um, and, you know, I, I think you're right. It's like the, the athleticism and, and um, the ability to handle the ball at a high level is there. And, uh, yeah, I think the stigma, um, the FOGO stigma, yeah, I've always hated that as well. And, you know, people get shocked when I can score points or, you know, you alluded to it, go behind the goal and score a goal. It's like, dude, I I used to do that all the time, like growing up in high school as a midfielder and, and, you know, even some in, in college, but I just never have been able to do it as, as much because I, I wanted to, listen to my coach and play my role and do the role to the best of my ability. So I think part of that too, is guys want to listen to their coach and help their team win. They're not just going to stay on the field to stay on the field. Um, even if they have the ability to. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and like people always say, like back in my day, we faced off and we took, you know, and we played offense. It's like, okay, big dog, come out here and take 30 faceoffs against bones Kelly. And you better stay on the field too. Tell me how that day goes for you. Um, So uh, another part I want to look at, and this is, you know, part of the, what we're just alluding to now, it's an easy segue is you had 10 points last year. You had four goals and six assists. 
and you were an offensive weapon. And, and I think, you know, we had also spoken about it with the knowledge of knowing that I also have uh, Brendan Fowler there. I can go for it. I can gas myself a little bit on offensive runs. I can stay on the field and make people pay, especially sure. watch out though. I'm shocked. There's three teams that are taking one face off guy only. Were you surprised at all that there's any teams taking only one face off guy for this style of tournament format? Uh, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I think each of those teams though, thinks they have an option that's reliable. Um, if the other person gets tired, um, and, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's tough though, to put someone in a spot that, you know, might've done some face-offs in college, um, and, and then throw them in there at the PLL just because of the level that face-off guys are at. But, um, no, I, I was a little shocked, but each, each coach and team has a, has a gameplay and strategy and, and, you know, knows what they want to do and who they want to bring. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it, how it, you know, kind of works out over the two weeks there. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody has their strategy and everybody – it's always interesting, right? You all, Everyone's got that game plan strategy. But then I'm really interested to see how that first game goes and see what coaches yeah. are going. Ah, maybe I should address an extra D mid instead of two face-off guys or vice versa. <laughs> the the yeah. best part about this is you had eight assist opportunities to Will Manny. So, and he had four goals off of, off of assists from you. So – you did your part. You, you made up for looking them off in the first game. <laughs> so I have um, to ask you this question because everybody wants me to. Your offense, you've added a mint. Okay. Whoa. You got a healthy Schreiber. You got Will Manny. Give me, a, give me just a, an idea of what it does for you as a face-off guy to know if I just handle my business, I don't have to be a superstar. If I can just get us the ball the times we need it, we're going to score. I mean, look at this offense. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. No, it's really exciting. I mean, I think that attack line of Manny, you know, Grant and Marcus, um, it shaped up to be incredibly deadly. You know, um, Mets obviously an incredibly talented player has a feeder first mentality with two incredible shooters, um, you know, on his, on his attack line, then you, you get a healthy Schreiber and, you know, we have some other great players that we've brought in and, and guys who were on our team last year. And um, no, I think from a face-off perspective, you're spot on, right. Is, Hey, how can I get these guys as many possessions as possible? And, you know, you alluded to kind of fast break opportunities with, you know, Willie last year and he's great because it's lefty lefty connection. So it, 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 you know, it's easier for me to throw that way. Um, but you know, now, you know, I, I had some, I hit Marcus a couple times too last year, you know, him and him and both Marcus and will do such a great job of reading the field and knowing when to drift. And what that does is, you know, a defenseman doesn't necessarily have to slide and I can still hit them because they put themselves in a shooting opportunity and they have such quick releases. They can still shoot and score. And so we kind of figure that out together, which is great. But now it's like you add Grant Ament who can sit there on either pipe and could potentially be open, right, depending how they slide. And he's a great inside finisher. It's like I got three fantastic options to hit. So that's going to be really fun to, to, to play with. And then, yeah, you know, you want to get the, that offense, the ball. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really excited as a team to um, get together and, and set this thing in motion. Yeah, the, the, the attack is preposterous. I, the rest of the PLL, how did you guys let this happen? You're going <laughs> to get your up and comments, man. 
So, uh, Bones, before we leave you here, if you had uh, one thing that you know you're looking forward to the most coming up, PLL Championship uh, Series, it's going to be in the Olympic time slot, international eyeballs on you. What are you most excited about for this event? I just think I'm I'm excited to play. I mean, I think it's it's going to be really cool to have lacrosse, obviously, you know, broadcasted now globally. You know, in a time where people really need sports, you know, I think to get eyeballs on the game, we need to continue to push to do that. You know, I think people are are really um, dying for sports, and I think you know that's exciting to be a part of a continued push in in making history in the lacrosse world. And you know, Paul and Mike have done a great job and. Uh, obviously creating this league and leading this league. And, um, you know, they were very reactive to the situation. And, um, you know, I'm just very excited to be on the field. So, you know, it's going to be great. And I will say this, Greg, I do want to add this because I think this is uh, something to think about. But it's as as you guys are doing such a great job of breaking down the stats and doing all these different analytics, I I think it's really cool. One thing, uh, analytic, that I've always wanted to be talked about is the turnover ratio of a face-off guy where you take the amount of turnovers on a year subtract that from their amount of wins and then divide that by the amount of face-offs taken and you get a, a, a you know maybe a turnover face-off percentage which teaches guys yes you can win a you can win a face-off but are you strong with the ball uh and not turn it over because that's something i've always tried to really pride myself on but some food for thought as we kind of continue to break down the position in a really deep perspective which is awesome I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, I think it's kind of a cool little added uh, analytic to think about. I love food and I love thought. And we're going to get Jake. To, <laughs> Jake, you got some more homework, boy. We're going to get that statistic. That, the Bones Kelly statistic, 100%. I love that. You're absolutely right. Not only for the PLL, but I think for college coaches to, to recruit guys and to keep track of would be a phenomenal statistic. So <laughs> kudos to you. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Bones, loved your insight and your excitement. I can't wait to see you out there with an upgraded Archers offense. I wish you a ton of luck, and thanks for meeting me at the Stripe today. Yeah, appreciate you, Greg. Appreciate your leadership, wisdom on all this, and um, excited to continue to listen to these podcasts and uh, continue to push the involvement of, of the face opposition. Appreciate you, brother. My man. Stay tuned. When we come back from our break, we'll be interviewing Bones' partner in crime, Brendan Fowler. All right, welcome back. Next up is Brendan Fowler, Chaminade grad from Long Island, became an NCAA legend by breaking records and leading Duke to -to back-to-back national titles. Now heading into his second season in the PLL, tag-teaming with Bones Kelly for the Archers Lacrosse Club. My man Fowler and I met a few years ago. Since then, we've become close friends and face-off academy colleagues. Thanks for meeting me at the Stripe today, brother. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Um, You know, really excited about this podcast. I've got a list of the first couple episodes. I think... um, as you always have, been advancing our position nonstop. So great to uh, great to finally be on it. Thanks, man. And, uh, you know, as we've been doing with all the other interviews, it's been fun having communication with guys. And I think one of the things that we've been really pushing upon the sport in general is these next-level stats, these statistics that go beyond just your face-off percentage and ground balls. Because usually when, you know, we hear like, oh, that guy's a good face-off guy, he's got really fast hands. We're like, that's, you know, that's yawn-worthy. That's boring. What we really want to do is bring it to the next level because the PLL face-off guys are the best on earth, and we want to show the distinct differences between all of you guys and what makes you special. 
And of course, one of the common denominators that everybody talks about every time we've interviewed so far is how incredibly athletic both you and Bones Kelly are. So we're going to be highlighting that using these statistics here. So if you're ready to dig into this, we can get going. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so first, I just want to get your feedback. What did you think of the first year of the PLL? How did it go? What were your, uh, you know, what did you anticipate happening? I know you're a little banged up going into the season last year, but when you got traded, because just so people at no home uh, at home know, uh, Fowler was traded from the Chrome to the Archers last year, a few games in. When you came into camp at the PLL with the Chrome, and then you eventually got traded, give us like a, a little bit of a, a rundown background of how that season went for you. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I was training leading up to the season. Like, felt like I was in pretty good shape. Was training hard and had a uh, my knee really started bothering me in like January, February, and then uh, you know had some meniscus damage there and was really like, you know, I think I can push through and do it. And as I tried to try to go the no surgery route, you know, it got close to the season. It definitely became an issue. So then, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I would have got surgery right away, probably would have been back on time. But, you know, a little stubborn and thinking I could do it, trying to avoid surgery, push myself, train a little more, became an issue. So got surgery. So went down to training camp when I was like just starting to run a little bit, right? I was pretty fresh out of surgery. So didn't get to take part in much. Um and man, you know how this league is. Everyone's so good. You know, Connor Farrell was fresh in as a rookie, and I watched him, and he crushed it kind of early on. And Drew Simino's there, and you're like, you know, I think I'm a pretty good player, but like, you know how it could go with this little man. You might not get a shot. If the guy's hot, like, you're you're as good as your last faceoff and what you've done recently, right? Like, you know, you, you could have done a lot of good stuff your whole career. So, I definitely had a minute where I was like, man, I might not even get a chance to show what I could do when I come back. And then, you know, once I was healthy, they had a pretty good two man thing going, and. uh you know, I remember Tommy Schreiber reaching out to me and Cav, and I was like, wow, man, that would be great. Like, I, just, you know, I just love competing. Obviously, like, you know, Chrome was cool because I was with my Duke buddies, and it felt like you were going to be kind of like back in the college days. But, like, I just love competing with whoever. So, you know, the fact they gave me an opportunity was great. Gave me, like, a breath of fresh air, hope getting a chance to play again. It was uh, was awesome, you know, that second half of the uh, – playing that second half of the year and getting to play with Bones. Yeah, and we actually touched on this when I was interviewing Tommy Kelly about how – you know, everybody is basically one bad game away from never facing off again in the pros. And that's how cutthroat it is, right? Like when you look at the face-off guys and the accolades that go across the board in the PLL, it's insane. And trying to get everybody a spot and get their time is tough. Now, one of the things that Bones Kelly and I spoke about was the incredible resurgence of his statistics once you came aboard. And how that was different to the dynamic on the Chrome where Connor felt like he really flourished once he was the guy and he was the only face-off guy on the roster. So we would love to hear from, from your own words. Bones had nothing but high praise to talk about having you come in as the second guy. He talked about not just your on-field, but your ability to talk to him and almost be that second pair of eyes and a coach. And you guys were helping each other as two coaches all the time and basically doubling your intelligence on the sideline between faceoffs. Tell us a little bit about that experience playing with Bones and what why you guys work so well together. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Um, you know, Bones is a stud. I remember the first time I watched him play, he's the same age as my younger brother Danny, um, and they both played in the Under Armour All-American game. So I'm like, maybe after my junior at college, they're freshmen, I go, man, this kid's electric. He's scoring goals, he's facing off, he's super fast, he's a really stud player. 
fast forward a little bit, you know, I have a really big junior year. My senior year, I think my worst game of my senior year of college was against Bones. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Like, I, he was a fr- true freshman facing off stand-up, neutral grip, and I struggled with him. And I was like, wow, this kid's legit. Um, and I think it was cool. I think I'm at a point in my career where, like, doing two guys works. Because in theory, it's great, but it's you've really got to have the right guys, right? Like, when I was younger, I don't know if I could have done it. I was like, I need to take every draw and be right on the whistle and do this. And a lot of guys have that mindset, and I understand that. But I think I was at a point where I was like, man, I want to compete. I want to be on a team. Like, I love having Bones, like, around to, like, compete with. He's been doing good. I'm like, this is his team. Like, I don't want to come in and be like – I'm the number one guy. Like, I want to take every face off. I'm like, dude, Bone's been the man. If I can come in and help this team win a championship, right? I think you get older in your career. You know this. I know it. Like, everyone wants to have great stats and accolades. But I'm like, I want to be a part of a championship team. If that means I come in and take every draw, if it means I come in and take three draws a game, like, whatever, man. I want to be a part of a team. And I think we were both open to, like, like he would – like, when I got hot in a game, he'd be like, hey, man, take the next couple. Like, you got it. And then, like, when he was hot, I had no problem sitting in fourth quarter and being like, dude, you, this is your day. And we – it's very hard to find that dynamic. And I think we're really lucky that the two of us are able to work that out because it's, it's a special thing and it's fun to be a part of. It is. You're absolutely right. And I think the PLL cultivates that. The PLL is is less about you're only important if you have accolades. Right. And, and I, they, there's so much team concept building around the social media aspect of it in the presentation. And I know from my experience last year with the Redwoods that you just loved being part of the sideline on game day. And you didn't, you know, I, I never cared less about breaking records than I did last year. Like I would go into every game. I want to get 51% of my face offs and I just want to be enjoy this because the locker rooms were fun. The interactions were awesome. And the, the electricity in the stands was fantastic. But going back to your guys swallowing your egos, it's such a rare thing in our position because our position from the time you become a face-off guy, whether you're in sixth or seventh grade or in high school or whatever, not only are you looking at the position as quote-unquote one-on-one, everyone's always saying it's a one-on-one battle. You know, they just say, forget the wings. They just don't even care about them and they only focus on you. You know, your parents are telling you you should be taking every face-off. Your friends are saying you should be taking all the face-offs. You obsessively want to beat everybody statistically when you practice it's really hard to like program yourself to be a team player after that, especially with our position always under siege, right? Like even on your own sideline, no one understands us. That's half the reason this podcast was created really, (laughs) but it's so special. And I think what I have learned through my career, and you can tell me if you, if you agree with this or not, I feel like the, you have to have fast hands. You have to go right on the whistle becomes less and less important as you get older because you understand the game at a wider range and you understand the chess pieces and the long game. And you and I had spoken about it yesterday because you and I were taking some reps and we were practicing together and we were talking about how like when you go stand up neutral grip or when you understand the counters or when you're good at placing the chess pieces and your wings in the right spot, you don't fall start as much. You don't obsess about hitting it right on the whistle because you know you have other ways to win other than just having quote unquote fast hands. Would you agree with that? Definitely, man. I I definitely agree with that. I think, I think it's become so specialized that guys, guys who are great athletes, they also will, they'll lose a clamp and they'll melt down. I'm like, Hey man, this guy might miss the ground ball. Chase him. Like, you know what I mean? It's going to happen. Like there's like, listen, it's, you'd love to win every face off clean, clean it to yourself and go on a fast break. But we all know that the higher competition you get to, the tougher that gets. I think, 
you know, I think part of like trying to be a good teammate and be that is I think the guys I play with know no matter what, I'm going to battle as hard as I can on every draw. Win the draw, lose the draw. I'm going to compete as hard as I possibly can. And I think people respect that. And I think it's tough, but I think it's like when you have the mindset of like, I could even, you could be in a face off, but I could chase you 40 yards down the sideline. You could throw it over the attackman's head. Like it's a loss in the stat book. But like now that we're starting to take more sense, like to me, I'm going to look at that as a win for me if I could, if I can force that. Right. So I think the mindset of how, again, how statistics are taken now and how guys are judged now that leads to that culture. I think, you know, I've heard some of the stats you guys had, like, Again, the PLL quickly, right? Like I talked about me and Bones. The PLL is a league. Like I knew they could have done something special. Like they really blew me out of the water with what they've done this year. And like, listen to the stats you guys had. I was like, who takes the time to do this, man? It's amazing. It's like, it's kind of like what you've always thought about as like a coach and player. And you have these thoughts in your mind. And like when I was at Duke, we statted things a little differently internally, which I could go over a little later. But like, I was like, man, these guys are like unbelievable with the effort they put into like really trying to bring like the best, like, information stats and like fan experience through incredible yeah yeah i'll tell you who takes time jake watts he takes time <laughs> he is a savage he's a number savage and he was he's a former face-off guy so he gets it that's what makes this whole thing so cool and you're right the vll not just the rules but also the dedication to this position and that was why we made this podcast because we're sitting here going if face-offs are so important and these guys when you look at the jersey sales and you look at the attention to social media followings face-off guys generally have some of the higher followings so it's kind of nuts that we didn't have a dedicated podcast and i think that's what we're trying to do now is make sure that people see that when we look at the archers and when we look at you specifically i've always said that i you're like the one guy i don't feel comfortable that i've won a face-off until i am off the field and we're in the arch and we're playing like on offense and even in a game, like it doesn't matter how the game's going percentage wise for me when you and I have battled head to head. I know that at any second you can break one and stick a goal and you have that motor and that athletic ability. And that's what makes you so dynamic and special. And it's not just that you're fast. It's not just that you're athletic. It's that you you don't just stay on the field when you win a face off. Like you're an actual offensive player that has quality stick skills, a shot and athleticism. But also, it's this second level of blue-collar doggedness of you just diving and selling out for every play, going one-on-one, and you will just ride somebody all the way down the sideline. And if they give you any kind of opening, you'll go for the check. You'll go to try to push them out of bounds. Where does that mentality come from? Because even when you were crushing it at Duke and you were like head and shoulders above every other face-off guy in college across you still had the mentality. Where does it come from? I think I, I just love to compete, man. You know, I didn't like grow up as a face-off guy. I don't, I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent if you do, but like I will, if we play, like if you want to go play like cornhole outside, like I'm just competitive dude, man. I just want to like play hard. I, I like, I try not to take for granted like that I get the opportunity to play and I've been really lucky to play at some high level and special places. And I want to sell out like every time I go on the field. Right. I think football, I think wrestling, I think the work ethic of wrestling just teaches you like this, like relentless, like pursuit for like, it's kind of similar to facing off, right? It's a shorter, like a wrestling match is six minutes and you have short bursts, but it's like a relentless pursuit of like going after people for a period of time. And like, and I'll tell you what, when you have two draw guys, like I think I've always played like when you have two draw guys, like me and Bones, it really allows you to sell out, right? Because you got to be careful with your cardio in these high scoring, quick games in the heat in the summer. Like 
when you know you got a dude who's as athletic or more athletic than I am sitting behind me, like we can really go after guys. So I just think like, I just love to compete. I was kind of raised that way to work hard. And you know, my pops kind of always instilled at me from a young age. So I just like love going out there and like, if I'm on the field, man, I'm going to give it my all like every minute. And like, if I'm mad about something, I made a mistake. Like I don't like, I try never to let that get in the way of me. Like when I'm on the field, if I'm going to yell or slam my stick, like I try to save that for the sideline like, until I'm off the field, yeah. man, I'm going to, I'm going to play as hard as I can. Yeah. And just so everyone has the full picture of the athleticism of Brendan Fowler, not only a two-time national champion and record-setting face-off guy for Duke, but also a wrestler at Duke and also a football player at Duke and graduated with a very high GPA and just a psychopath when it comes to work ethic. So definitely pay attention to some, if you're going to pay attention to somebody who does it the right way, pay attention to Fowler. Let's look at your statistics and go down this story here. So for the season, uh, you were, your clamp percentage was at 46% and you were actually a 40%, 46% face-off guy as well. You're the only person in the league whose clamp percentage matched their face-off percentage. So listeners, remember clamp percentage basically means that on the whistle, when you try to either a clamp is when you try to roll the top sidewall over the ball, or if you try to rake it, Basically, you're the one who gains control of the direction of where the ball is going to go first. And that's why it's an important statistic, because we try to contrast that to how often you actually then end up winning the faceoff. And for Brendan, it's dead on at 46 percent versus starters. Your clamp percentage was 37 percent. So versus the PLL starters last year, 37 percent clamp percentage. But you were still a 42 percent faceoff guy, which when we look at if you have a lower clamp percentage, but a higher overall faceoff percentage. It's because you also can get to your feet. You can counter. And we've talked about how you, Bones, Nardella, are some of the top guys in the league at being able to do that. That adds to that idea of we, we talked about it with Bones where if he felt like he was in a 50-50, he's not going to grind with you. He's just going to stand up and he's going to screw your exit up. Do you have a very similar approach to that? Uh, I think with these new rules, I do to an extent. Like, I think if I can get the ball, but I think, especially if we're going against one guy, right, and we can kind of, like, wear him out, I'm like, yeah, let's put him under the pressure of, like, I'll just chase him down. Let's let's get after him. Let's try to wear these guys out. And in the fourth, it's so funny how these games go, man. It's like, it's how many times you play a PLL game and you're not in a one-goal game in the last few minutes of the game, right? Like, it's like, how do these go? A lot of times it's really tight, so I, I like to – it depends on the game and who I'm going against. If I think, if I feel like I'm clamping good, I can beat him to it. I'll do it. But a lot of times I think like, man, if we have two, if it's two guys versus one and we're trying to push the pace and wear this guy out, like let's pop up to our feet and then make him pick up a really contested ground ball and try to wear him out. And then if later in the game, we can win those couple of draws at the end, if we need him, I think like that's, that's our, depending on the game, I think that's our strategy. But I think with the, with these new rules, man, it's a lot less, there's still some tie-ups in there, but it's a lot less. I think it's something we try to do. We're really successful with, I think. So people could take some notes of that. Um, but, but yeah, I, th- I think, uh, I think especially with the two of us going, I think we want to wear guys out and compete on ground balls. And I think we're definitely going to have fresher legs, the two of us, than if we're facing off against one guy. So it's going to give us a good advantage getting the ball and doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the difference between the PLL and the NCAA, we've touched on it before. The ball is lined up higher on the head of your stick when you go down. So there's less lockups in the PLL. And that was the problem solved. And then also the wings are a yard in closer. And if you want to deep dive into the specifics of the difference, go to episode zero where we break down the PLL faceoff rules. But what Brennan's talking about, instead of there's two types of people, they grind and they lock up and they try to rotate clockwise around the ball to try to push their opponent off. Or you have someone like Brennan or 
similar to what Bones was saying in his portion of the interview, where he gets to his feet right away. If he recognizes that they, he doesn't have a majority of the ball, he's going to stand up. And by rule, if the referee deems that you do have the clamp and you do have control of the ball, you have to redirect it after one step. So you can't just sit down there. And for a lot of guys, myself included, believe that the best counter is to get to your feet immediately, make the guy who's down on the ground with his face in the dirt have to make the first move rather than giving him an opening by just staying down there too long. Um, and I, I think for athletic guys, it works well, especially in the PLL where the wings are closer and wing guys love the fact that you're going to stand up right away and force a guy into basically a double team. And that's what Brennan and Bones do best. When we look at your championship series matchups, so guys that you went against last year and their statistics against who you're going to be going against this, this time around. And remember at home, they're not going to be going against everybody. This isn't a full round Robin tournament. You just have four games that are randomly picked for your schedule. You had the best face-off percentage out of everyone in the league against Trevor last year. You were 9 for 17 against Trevor, 53%. What makes you a good matchup going against Trevor, who was last year's All-Pro? I don't know, but I hope it stays that way, man. You know how <laughs> you know how good he is, dude. He's on track to be like the best ever, like no doubt, right? Like he's yeah. he's really unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I think I'm a mix up for him. I'm gonna like I'm just gonna compete and try to wear him down and beat him up. And he's my boy, and he knows that. But I think we have a respect because he knows like I'm not scared of him. I'm gonna go after him. I think what he's like what he is a face up guy, man. It's unbelievable. I like to to point to people like. What that kid did four years in college is so insane because you have no idea what it's like to be a first-team All-American and come back a year later. I did it from a junior to a senior, right? And my senior year, my numbers were a little bit lower. I was a third-team All-American. But, man, like if you don't dominate every game, if you lose the opening face-off, the stadium goes nuts. Like you they just you just lost in overtime, right? Like it's crazy. And, like, yeah. that kid has handled that, handled that beating for four years and was that guy like every single time, man. He's He's really amazing, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get after him, man. I love him. I respect him for it. Like, I, I, I'm his biggest fan. But like, if we're gonna play each other, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him. I'm gonna try to wear him out, get after him. I think it, he's a, again, he's as tough as it is to get against. But uh, you know, I, I, I have nothing but respect and good about him, man. That guy is, he's the, he's really on track to be the greatest of all time. Yeah, and, and Trevor is one of the things that I've always said when I've talked to Trevor is. When you're the alpha, you're getting every, everybody's got you circled on their calendar. Everybody's got your name up on their board. Everyone's training for you. Everybody's watching your highlights, trying to learn everything that you do. And then on top of it, like you said, if you don't go, forget about winning a faceoff. If you don't go 75%, everyone thinks that the world's ending, right? And <laughs> you, you've experienced it. Trevor's experienced it. I've experienced it where you've had seasons where you know that when you look down the sideline, like you can basically make people flinch because they're afraid of you because you, what you, in our position, if you're sitting there, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to defender and I got to slow down this attackman. It's if I go out here against this guy, I very well might go 10 to 15% and get embarrassed. And I think when you are someone like Trevor, who is used to people looking at you like that, and then suddenly, in a game, you have a Brendan Fowler who's 
Yeah, I've been there too, man. Like, I was you. You know what I mean? Like I was the top dog at one point. Like maybe, maybe I'm praying on that a little bit. Yeah, like, and I think yeah. I think when you go against Trevor, I think for a lot of times, some we, we've all experienced it. When you go against certain people, you win the first three or four faceoffs, and you win them clean. You win the clamp, and they start to just give up. Like, oh man, I'm in for it. You, you don't. You don't. He doesn't get that from you. Instead, it's like, all right, you want the clamp, but now you got to get exit. Now you got to you got to get the ball. Now you got to get the GV. Now you got to deal with this, and you got to deal with me coming at you for an entire game. So, I think that's the ability that you have to wear people down. And we spoke about it with Bones about you two are just body punching people to death, right? In our playoff game against you guys, I was off to a decent start in the game. I was I was okay, and then the fourth quarter, I didn't win a face off. No one talks about that, but I'll I'll crush myself on this. You, I didn't win a face-off in the fourth quarter. In fact, I think you broke me forward like two or three times in that fourth quarter. I was exhausted. I felt like I had been playing lacrosse for like two weeks by that point. <laughs> and that's what I think you guys and, – and tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like when you look at a championship sprint like we're going to see in this series where play, guys are playing in basically a World Games format every other day, you and Bones have something that you're able to literally wear people down not just for the game, but like for the third round, you know, the third time you're going to play, or maybe I'm going to wear you down. And if we see you in the tournament mode, you know, you're going to be dead. Like you're not going to have any energy left. Like have you and bones talked about that? Because man, I would not want to go against you guys in this type of format. Yeah, we definitely have. I think we've, I think we have the attitude. I've always been like, listen, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be 75% every game. Right. But I want guys to be like, damn, I'm so sick of facing off against this guy. Like that's that that's like kind of like my like I, if people feel that way at the end of a game and I like that means I like competed really hard. That's what I want to do. And I think I think people could look at the two of us and be like, damn, like I'm sick of these two. Even if they're winning every clamp, like I just want this game to be over. I want to get out. I want to be done. And like I think we try to like yeah. I think that's unwritten. Not that we say it, but I think that's kind of both our mindsets. Like we're just gonna like w- compete against guys. And you know how it is, man. Like. When I win a clamp, I don't want to work hard to pick up the ball. Like, I will. But I want to pop it and pick it up and throw the attack and easy. If you're under pressure every single time, it's exhausting, man. It's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. So, it's not just exhausting, but also over the course of a game, those sticks get beat up. They The heads get bent. They get warped. And then you have a guy on your hip pocket checking you, pushing you, and then you're, you know, your defense is spreading out, and you got to make a tough run on a 45-degree angle, hit the guy right on the stick, you're going to screw that up three or four times. And in the PLL, where like 80% of the games last year were like one goal games, man, those four or five turnovers are going to cost you big. And that's what you guys bring to the table. And I, I, I also said to Bones, you guys are probably two of the only guys that I can think of in the PLL that have the ability as faceoff guys to then just like say, look, I'm just going to run up. Like I'm going to take this dude to X and dodge. I'm going to try to draw a slide and bang it or I'm going to bring my guy down to the crease and then I'm just going to sprint and leave him in the dust for 20 yards. Have you guys talked about how you're going to try to wear down? There's three teams out there that have one face-off guy they're dressing. Were you surprised by that? Um, A little bit. Yeah, man. A little because like, forget about just cardio, like injuries in sports are a real thing. Not, I hope nobody gets hurt, but like to have no backup is an interesting tactic, but I mean, people are going to go with what they're going to go with and like, yeah, me and Bones, we're gonna we're gonna play hard, man. You're gonna you're definitely gonna get our hundred percent every time, and I and I think it's very difficult. I'm sure we're gonna get this, but like, it's hard to sit, put that just on us and not talk about like our wing guys, right? Oh, because it's a full package of people. Um, yeah. 
So those dudes, right? Like you got like Scott Ratliff, like anyone. I, I, what I'll say about him, man, is I think it's I, I'm. I think we got to keep this PG. What? I, but I, if everyone who's played Scott Ratliff goes, man, I hate that guy when you were playing against <laughs> him. Like, and to me, and now is my teammate, man. He couldn't be a better teammate. I love the guy. Is there any better compliment in sports than that? Like I played him no. when he was at Loyola. I played him in the pros, and I was like, dude. Like, not as a person, but I'm like, I hate this guy. He's getting after me. He's checking me. He's hitting me. He's talking, like, a little bit of smack. Like, man, he's, like, relentless. And I'm like, now having him on my squad, I'm like, this is fantastic, dude. I've dealt with the front end <laughs> so long. So, like, him, man, he's relentless. I remember, like, a couple plays stick out from our wings last year. I remember we're playing the chaos up in Hamilton, right? And I wish it was, like, a Joe Rogan podcast. You could pull up these clips and show them, right? Tommy Kelly pulls a ball through his legs and Ratliff isn't down locking off their shorty. And I, as soon as the ball gets pulled out, I'm like, damn it, Rat. Come on, bro. You got to be lined up right. He beats from wherever he is, both guys to the ball. And I was like, I cannot believe I just watched that guy do that. Like the motor- I'm going to shut right up and let Rat do whatever he wants. Uh, I was like, you know what? <laughs> just line up wherever you want, man. But it was like unbelievable. Like his motor and his like can compete on those wings is like, I mean, every pole is great, but, like, I put him up there with every guy, man. He's relentless. Yeah. And then you got, like, Mark McNeil's got a play you should show, too. I'm pretty sure it was in Albany against um, against the Whip Snakes. He, like, runs, like, two 60-yard sprints and checks two guys that are picking up ground balls. It's, like, literally the most insane lacrosse play ever. You should really show it to, like, every kid playing. Like, you're trying to teach people to play hard? Just watch this play and, like, have an understanding of, like, what playing hard is, right? We have him. We got Dominique, you know, Tyler yep. Fisher. Those guys are solid as it comes on the wings, right? And then we have – we're adding new pieces. You know, Eli Goldbrack. We got Matt McMahon could come up and double pull. So, like, those guys are – you know how it is, man. You could be doing everything right at the X. And with me and Bones, the strategy of trying to beat guys up, when the wings don't do it right, you could go 0%. So, like, those guys, when you're when you're getting up and if it's a 50-50, you're letting guys win the clamp and competing, like, the wings are, are even more important. So those guys are such an integral part of what we do. Um, it's it's like it, it definitely doesn't work without any of them for sure. And I can't speak highly enough about those dudes. You're right. And when I think you guys, the rest of your team is almost a victim of how incredibly insane your offense is. When you have the best player in, in the world, Tommy Schreiber, banging the ball, like no look threading passes 40 yards across to, you know, a guy's stick. You got Holman, you got Manny, and then everyone just like put their head through a window when you guys picked up a ment and everyone's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Now this isn't fair. Guys like Mark McNeil, Dominique Alexander, who I personally think are two of the most underrated players in our entire sport. No doubt. Who, no doubt. If you want to look up athletic speed and, and hard work, they're literally the definition and then you have Scott Ratliff, who I will admit, when we were facing you guys in the playoff last year, I was game planning for a full week on how we can just try to scoop up ground balls dealing with you, Bones, and Scott. And I'm just like, how can we – We forget, I was like, forget about popping it to my wings. I need to move my wings so that I can keep these guys away from us as much as possible so that I can get the scoop. And I thought our game plan was as good as it could possibly be, and you guys still pulled some tricks like towards the end of the game, third quarter, pop the ball out. Everything's going as planned. I deviate a little bit, try to be smart. And Scott Ratliff picks off my pass, sticks a two bomb right in my eyeball. And I was like, this is how my career is going. 
Thanks, Scott. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you guys, you have speed on top of speed on your team, and it's insane in how cohesive you guys are. And I will say, you guys, you guys stick up for each other. You guys, you know, you'll chirp whoever you need to chirp. You'll get into people's heads, and that's what I, you know, you guys are just tough. I don't think you get enough credit for how tough your team is at top to bottom. When we look at your championship series matchups beyond Trevor, we look at the Chrome, uh, who you were 20% against Connor Farrell last year. Water Dogs, you didn't face off against anybody because when you did play the Chrome last year, uh, Simino, Drew Simino wasn't dressing yet. So you have him and Withers for the Water Dogs, haven't faced off against them yet. And then the Whip Snakes, you were uh, 14% against them. And I think that might be your only matchup in which your clamp percentage was higher than your total faceoff percentage because just like you, just like Bones, Joan Ardell's strength as we continue to talk about it, this is ability to get out of a stance and disrupt exits. So when you look at Atlas, Chrome, Water Dogs, Whip Snakes, first I'm going to ask you, which game are you personally, honestly, more most excited about? Of all of them? Um, it's tough. I mean, like – Atlas is a big one because you got like yeah, Trevor is he's the dude. He's the dude. Yeah. And like I'm I don't envy that of him, but it's respectful. So I love competing against him. I think the other games were a couple of my my down ones, right? I think like like again, Joe Nardell is tough for the whip stakes now. That was one of those games where I'm like, man, like I could have picked up a couple of these GBEs, and the next thing you know, you're like one for eight, and you're like, yo, Bones, you're running with this today, right? Like that was the day where I was like, dude, you're yeah. hot, I'm out, and like it made sense, but I was like, it's one of those games where like, I'm one for eight. I don't feel that I, this is where I should be, but I didn't make the place with the ball, and he was – and Bones, I, got, I think I got like three pusher behinds. I was like, it's one of those days right like, damn, bro, this is just not yeah. not one for me. But all those guys are exciting, man. Like, I mean, Connor Farrell's like a new up-and-coming. He's a beast. Like, it'd be, Bones had a monster game against him in that game. Like, those were two games where – I didn't like, you know, where I didn't perform well and Bones kind of ran with it. And then there were a couple of, like the Atlas was one that was the opposite. So I think for me, it's just like, there's going to be hot days, down days. They're all exciting, man. I, I just love to get out there and play. And again, it's like all those dudes are, are great. Right. And then you have the, you have the water dogs where you got Withers and Simino. Those dudes are tough as nails, right? Like Jake, what Jake Withers is like, yeah. You watch that dude play indoor and you watch him play in college. I, I played against him a little bit, man. He's as tough as it gets. And then Drew Simino is like, he's a total stud. He's a nightmare to go against too for stuff. So it's definitely at this level, right? It's like you, you spoke about it earlier, how tough it is to be here. I mean, think about how many All-Americans leave college every year and, and want to play in these leagues and can't, right? So like the, the margin of error is so little. So you definitely got to be on the on the ball. But I think the two of us are going to you know compete. I'm, I'm, all of them are exciting to me, to be honest. You're right. And, and when you look at the talent top to bottom, and, and I've talked about this before, and I can't wait before the episode that we do the Water Dogs because I feel like there just hasn't been big enough deal made of Jake Withers joining the PLL. Jake Withers was a multiple-time All-American. He was a stud. He was he, he was the record-breaking face-off guy as a rookie for the Nighthawks. Uh, he played for the Thunderbirds and led the, the NLL in face-off percentage, and it wasn't even close he's a monster on the ball and he can play offense. And I feel like where you guys have two players that are insanely athletic and fast, I feel like the water dogs are going to have way more of a fastball and a knuckleball where you have Drew Simino, who is, was a professional all-star in his own right. And I firmly believe that if he gets the chance to be, you know, getting his reps again, that he will do very well, hard rotator, Really good speed on the whistle, very technically sound. And then you have Jake, who is a ground ball machine. 
and can face off standing up. So I feel like the, both of you guys have two-headed monsters, and it's going to be awesome to watch you guys play each other and see how you guys, you know, maneuver that. I remember when Team USA played Canada, and Trevor and I were playing against Withers and Jeff Snyder, and we could see on the sideline Canada kind of jostling to see who was going to go out and meet us at. And it just adds a whole other level to the game, which is so cool to watch, and and people will be paying attention to it. So when we talk about some of your matchup stuff. When we talk about your best matchups, so you know, last year your best matchup was against Trevor, actually. You were 53%. You were 29% on the clamps, though, and this speaks to your athleticism, your ability to disrupt exits. When you went when you went against Trevor, and well, let's touch about it one more time. I just want to get a little bit of insight so people at home know what your strategy was. When you go against Trevor, what was your strategy? What was your, your wing strategy? What was your personal strategy going against him? Yeah, I think it was a it was a it was a hot, pretty high scoring game. I wanted the the wing guys to lock him off, and I, I think I I did win. I was funny. I think the, some of the clamps I won, I lost too. Right? He did a good job of counting. It was almost like it was. I, I kind of as much as I remember that game, I have to go back and watch it. I think it was like if you win the clamp, you lose the draw. It was kind of like the story of the day, which shows you yeah. how competitive those GBs are. But I was just trying to yeah get into him, disrupt his exit, dive, check him. Right, like balls were kind of spraying in different directions. Our wings made good plays on them. Right, those are those, those are those kind of days that like you could they could go great or they could go poorly. But like all the all the face offs are are right there. Right, like nobody's picking up a lot cleanly. So me and him are competing, going after each other. But I was just like, I want to try to every time he exits, I want to be all over him. Right, that was my number one. So I'm gonna win a couple claps here today, and if I would like to control those, like one of the things. Like one of my goals going into a game always, right, is I'm not going to win every clamp. I know that. Never had, never will. I, I like to – I give myself one a game as like a self-jogging thing. I, one get, I can understand one a game. If I win a clamp, I want to control every draw the game, right? I, I give myself a one. If I don't control one, that's fine. That's kind of always somebody I came up with in college I try to stick with. And if I don't win the clamp, I want to ride back a certain percentage of them. Right. And something that gets me to maybe like a 55% goal. Like that's kind of how I look at things along those lines. Right. I'm going to hear, I want to ride back, you know, one out of every four or five I lose. I want to try to win all the ones that, you know, if I'm clad for setting to add in the 40s, hopefully. Right. And then I can ride back a couple. I'm at 50 something percent. So, like, that's, sure. that's kind of how I take a look at things. Um, you know, just how I always have from a perspective. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about in one of our production meetings about this. 2020 championship series was keeping track of what we call quality possession, quality possession percentage in which you gain percentage of the face off, you gain possession of the face off, excuse me, you get the ball down, but how many times when you gain possession of the face off and it counts as a face off win, can you get it down inside the arc and actually have yourself an offensive chance? And that's what I think, you know, Brendan's talking about is a lot of times face off guys, their stats are skewed because, Either their clamp percentage is high, but they don't win the faceoff, or they win the faceoff, but then they throw the ball away, or they rush it and they take a bad shot and it gets saved, and now you're going back the other way. And those are those are just essentially turnovers. So the faceoff win doesn't mean anything. So I think you know one of the things you're so good at, like for instance, if we look at a Joe Nardella, Joe Nardella led all faceoff guys with points last year because he would just stay on the field, like he wanted he wanted like dodge three guys, spin move, rip a shot. He would just stay on the field, and usually the, the quote-unquote FOGO mentality of face-off, get-off, guys would just run off the field, and a lot of guys do that, so you get caught up in that. That's not going to be a problem for you in boats. And, and in fact, you're going to be able to expose people even more so because you also do have that dodging ability. 
And that's what we've talked about before. And I think your quality possession, possession percentage, try saying that 10 times fast. <laughs> we'll go QPP. Your QPP will be off the chart. And, and that'll be interesting, especially like we talked about with Bones, dude. This offense you guys have. When you go out there, how much easier is it to know that I don't have to go 80%. I just got to handle my business, not be a liability, and our team is going to put up points. Like how how much of a cool luxury is that? Yeah, no, definitely. It's great. It um, It's awesome. I think that the QPP percentage talk about is great. I think when I was at Duke, you know Coach Caputo. Everyone knows Rock Caputo. Yeah. If not the greatest assistant, he's right there in the country, right? Absolutely, the man. That's how we always statted stuff. Like if I pop the face off forward and I run down, I throw it over the point guy's head, that's a loss. That's how I would mm-hmm. stat myself as a loss, right? Because we didn't get a possession. So either if we get a good shot off or we settle the ball in the box, I- I've always statted things that way myself. So I think the fact that you guys are going to come with that's awesome. Um, coming to our offense, yeah, man, I think it's like it brings me back to my Duke days, right? Like I had a period in the MLL where I like I, 2017, I pushed the ball and had a fair amount of points when I was playing indoor. And I think – I thought at the time we kind of needed to get two or three points off the faceoff to be competitive against some of the best teams. Now I don't, I, I would rather Tommy Shriver shooting the ball than me. Right. So like, I remember, <laughs> I'll never forget when I was at Duke, right. I remember I popped the faceoff forward um, my senior year and I take a shot. I missed the cage. Coach D blows the whistle and he goes, Brennan Fowler, who's that standing over there at the point? And I'm like, Oh, that's uh, it's Jordan Wolf. He's like, Oh, okay. How many, uh, how many goals did Jordan have this year? I'm like, I don't know, like 50-something, 47? He's like, right, right. How many do you have? I'm like, three. He's like, okay, cool. Hit the point, man. So, Archer's <laughs> team, man, like, we're the definition of that, right? You got Holman, Manny, Shrives. Like, if I shoot the ball, it better go in the back of the net. It better go in the back of the net if I'm not passing to those guys. So, I know my role on that squad. Like, I think, because I know I have the ability to do some stuff offensively. So, guy, but, like, I know if I'm shooting the ball – it better be a clean shot. And if I can get the ball in those guys' hands, man, that's what they do for a living. I'm going to handle my business and get them the rock and let them do what they do. You know, there, there are a few things that I enjoy more than a good Coach Donowski story. And, and you deliver so well when you give the stories. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> the, so, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, archers are loaded on offense. You guys have, an, in my opinion, underrated, uh, you know, midline of defenders. And – you guys have a very solid defense. You have Drew Adams and and Gittleman and Goal. I mean, this team is primed. Like when you guys look at what you're capable of doing, and, and we can be honest here, is this like a dude? We should win this thing. Like this is a championship or bust type of moment. Like we we're 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 loaded. Like the chemistry, if it's there, we should win this thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I, th- I think that's at our level, that's always got to be your mindset, right? You always got to yeah. be like, because you're right there at the best. But I think, yeah, man, I mean, what what portion of it do we not have to win it, right? I think we got everything, I think. But you know, it's still going to be one-goal games. <laughs> like, it's always going to be that. <laughs> but we definitely have the team and the people to win those one-goal games, right? Um, and I think we have definitely have the right pieces. I think we were really close last year. You know, ran into you guys were an awesome team. Like, we lost – Losing Shrives hurts, but we still have a team. Like, it's still a competitive game going into that, right? Like, it's it, we lose him early in the game, and it's, you know, it's not easy to – he's, in my mind, right, the best player in the world. Um, so, losing him hurts, but I think we definitely got the pieces. I mean, you got to show up and make it happen with the chemistry and all. I know having Grant on board is going to be awesome. I'm really excited to watch that kid play at this level. I think he's a special talent. Um, 
hopefully he'll gel in our offensive guys, which the way he plays, I think will be no problem. And yeah, man, I think it's, is we, I think everyone's got to have that mindset, but yeah, like why not us? If not us, who's it going to be? Right. So it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to playing in this. Yeah. I love that. And real quickly, when we look at your statistics from last year, you played injured, you, you shared time. I know what Brendan Fowler's capable of. I've experienced it. <laughs> what tweaks are you going to make this season coming back? What things do you think you could have done better last year? And what kind of tweaks are you going to make to try to make a bigger impact this year? Yeah, I mean, I went up uh... – I was at a, went up to a little face-off academy, academy event yesterday as a student. I think that's something that's important, man. I think I remember coming out of college as a senior thinking I was, like, pretty good. And then, like, as soon as you, like, really think you know a lot about something, you start to realize, like, you actually – there's still a lot to learn, right? There always is. So, um, so man, be able to team up with you and just pick guys' brains. I think, like, the rules, I think, like, for me, I didn't get to do them early on. And I kind of, like, had to figure out the difference in them in the season, right? So that took me a few games. Um, I think I'm healthy, which is big, right? Like I was like, even last year, like, I play a game and it'd be like, my knee was bothering me. I had a couple of days I could work out. So I think I'm healthy. I'm, I think I'll be able to, I've been running, running more days a week just to get the feel of like playing. I, and I feel pretty good. My knee feels good, which I'm excited about. Right. So, so I'm two knee surgeries a year ago. Right. So I'm not fully healthy there. I think, uh, and I think getting a feel for the rules and, and going against guys, uh, you get a feel for all of them, right? I can take a look back at those games and realize things I made differently. And just I think the biggest thing is you're going to get to play a lot of lacrosse in a row there, which in my mind, I like, right? Like I like to like, you know, when you play, you know, when you play bad in a game, you're like, damn, I got to wait a week for this. Or I play good in a game. I go, I'm hot, dude. Can we play tomorrow? I'll play yeah. again right now. Right. So I think either way, it's exciting to play a lot of games in a row. And I think like I'm going to have, the cardio, I'm going to have the condition. I think bones is too, and the toughness to grind through this. Cause like you can imagine how grueling it's going to be on your body. Right. So I, yeah, I think um, we're going to be competitive doing that. And, and I think that plays into our advantage. So I think, yeah, statistically, I, th- I would like, definitely like to have a better year going into this, but to me, like it's wins and losses, but obviously my percentage is certainly going to help with that. Right. So it, it's pretty lucky that like, as a face-off guy, your percentages aren't selfish at all. It's not like I'm like taking, I'm not passing the ball to somebody. It's like the more I win, the better chance we have of winning. So right. like it's all on board. So yeah, I'd like to have those numbers higher this year and I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting back into it. You're right. If every faceoff guy knows exactly what his stats are. And if anybody says they don't, they're lying. And, and the reason being, it, it has nothing to do with ourselves. It's you want to know how much you truly are giving to help the team. You want to know like after a game, okay, 53% of the time I won my faceoffs. Yeah, that means I helped my team today. That's great. I, I That's what I need to hear because we don't have the physical goals and assist stats that the other guys have, and that's what we need. Yeah. And I will say this before we close out here. If anybody needs to understand Brendan Fowler, I met Brendan for the first time after he had won two national championships and broke NCAA records. And he came into the pros and had a little bit of a rough start and came and trained with me, and we worked together. And that's when we really started to become friends, and you took off from there. And I just remember being so insanely impressed with the fact that a guy who has accomplished so much still wanted to learn more. And that is so rare because we have kids, you know, that we've coached that are like sixth grade and they went nine for 10 yesterday at a tournament. So they don't want to hear anything. They, they know everything now. So the fact that you did that. And then, of course, just yesterday, right, we're just training together. You know, you're asking me questions and I'm, you know, we're trying to help each other out and tweak some things. And you're still the same dude. And, and success hasn't hasn't diminished your work ethic or your humbleness at all. 
And I just applaud that. And I think everybody can learn from that. So I just want to say that, you know, it was awesome having you on the show, man. And it was great, you know, getting to see you again. I know COVID has, has knocked down our ability to hang out. So I'll be rooting for you out in Salt Lake, man. And, and you and Bones are a two-headed monster that people are really going to enjoy watching. So good luck with everything. And thanks for coming on to the show, dude. Thanks for having me, man. You know, this podcast, you've always been, you know, pushing our position forward more than anybody ever. And you're doing it again with this. So thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Um, looking forward to catching up again soon. Thanks a lot, brother. That's going to wrap up our episode. Thank you for tuning in. And special thanks again to Bones Kelly and Brendan Fowler. You guys were awesome. We'll be back next episode with Redwood's newcomer duo of Greg Paskuljan and Peyton Smith. Be sure to subscribe to The Stripe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Please rate and review with questions and subjects that you'd like us to discuss. All feedback is appreciated. Once again, I'm your host, Greg Renly, and you can follow me at GregBeast32 on Twitter and Instagram. Can't wait to meet you next time at The Stripe.